In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Welcome, everybody. I'm going to talk about uh, the Ten Commandments um, uh, that uh, uh, Catherine read this morning, sort of in toto, uh, as, a, as what they represent. But first, I want to talk about gnats. Gnats. Nats, not like the Nats, like Washington Nationals, but Nats, G-N-A-T-S, Nats. Um, you know, uh, they swarm, they get in your eye, uh, they go up your nose, they sort of ruin everything, Nats do. And you, you might be asking, why have I come to church to hear about Nats? Well, Nats are the backstory to the Ten Commandments, and also I haven't preached ever about gnats in 30 years. I've got to sort of keep it interesting for myself. So, um, but before God revealed his law on Mount Sinai, which is what we just heard this morning, um, you, you know this, I'll give you a little backstory. People told away slaves in Egypt under Pharaoh's uh, cruel regime, and they cried out to God, and God heard their cries, and God determined to deliver his people from slavery in Egypt into, into freedom. And so he pointed Moses, the man Moses, who received the law on Mount Sinai to be his mouthpiece. Now that was a strange choice because Moses had a debilitating stutter. Uh, Moses couldn't, couldn't speak, he, he, he stuttered all the time. And so why would he be God's mouthpiece? And so Moses argues with God uh, about and explains all his insufficiencies to God as if God didn't know them and then finally the Lord in exasperation says look who made your mouth who made man's mouth It's me the Lord I know what I'm doing and then Moses delivers one of the best lines in all the Bible's call stories and there are a lot of them I really wish we would have this this line at our ordination services Moses says oh my Lord please send someone else <laughs> And like, who can't relate to that in your life? And so um, fast forward to the gnats, the gnats. God wins the argument with Moses, shocker. Um, he does let Aaron, his brother, be his, his, his sort of talking head. And Moses goes to Egypt to tell Pharaoh to release the Egyptians who are currently a massive source of free labor for Pharaoh and Moses is not a big fan of that plan, another shocker. And so, um, hence their 10 plagues that are inflicted upon Pharaoh in Egypt in order to change Pharaoh's mind and let the people go. Um, so this is sort of Sunday school backstory for you. Well, here's the funny part. First plague, Moses has a staff and he touches the Nile, which is of course huge. And it all turns to blood. Everything is blood. So the water source dries up. Um, blood is everywhere. You know, the women doing their washing all have red clothes and sheets. Um, but then the magicians, the Egyptian magicians, they have their own little staff and they're like, no biggie. And they hit some water and it all turns to blood. No big deal. So then Moses unleashes frogs. Frogs are everywhere. Frogs are in in, in um, their beds, in their houses, in their ovens. Frogs are covering the land. They're in their kneading bowls while they're trying to make bread. Frogs are horrible. You'd think that would be enough. And the, the magicians for, for, for Pharaoh are like, 
whatever, we can do frogs. So they do frogs. But then come the gnats. Scripture says there were gnats on man and beast. All the dust of the earth became gnats in all the land of Egypt. Imagine that. And here's the thing. The Egyptian magicians couldn't do gnats. They could do blood. They could do frog. But they're like, gnats, no way. We give up. We can't do gnats. That's funny. Why couldn't they do gnats? Um, Seven plagues later, the Israelites finally leave Egypt. And so here's what happened. They're freed. They, they, they leave during what's called the Passover. They complain. They cross the Red Sea. They complain some more. Uh, they wander in the wilderness. They complain some more. They wish they were back in Egypt. They complain some more. They're given manna to eat. They complain about the manna. They, they wonder, is God even with us? Like, why are we even here? Um, so even though God delivered them out of Egypt via the gnats, he dried up the, the Red Sea for them to pass in a miracle. He made water spring from a rock. He gave them bread from heaven. Every day he went before them in this cloud of, a uh, pillar of cloud and fire. And you'd think, wouldn't you, that that would be sufficient to prove that God is for them, that God is sufficient for them, and God exists for them. But no, they finally arrive at Mount Sinai, today's reading, and then here we're given another funny line from the Bible. So, before the law is given, um, the Ten Commandments, God warns his people to obey his statutes. He says, like, if you will be, if you obey my statutes, my law, then I'll be your God. Um, and despite their absurd track record, um, which I just gave you, the scripture says, all the people answered together and said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. I'm like, really? I mean, of course they won't do that because they're like us. They'll do the opposite. Just like sitting, sitting is the opposite of standing. They will not do anything that the Lord says. Um, they don't know themselves. They are like King Lear who hath but slenderly known himself. But are we different? Are you different? Am I different? Um, are we tempted to think we might be like the rich young ruler who told Jesus, well, I have kept all these commandments ever since my youth. Or maybe we think, well, I, you know, I'm not perfect, but I'm a lot better than that person over there. So these 10 commandments, what are they? They're the gold standard for, uh, for human morality. And, and more than that, they're meant for our happiness. They're meant for human thriving. And yet, we break them in obvious ways and in subtle ways over and over and over again. Now this is um, given, this is presaged, this is, this is illustrated in a funny way in the Bible. Um, Moses comes down from the mountain. He's been up there a while um, and all the people are down at the foot of the mountain, Aaron's down there. and. Um, they decide to have this like Bacchanalian rager. <laughs> they, they form a golden calf. They're all worshiping the golden calf. 
It is, a, it is like um, maybe Easter's 1981 and Mad Bull, uh, or worse. And so, um, and so Moses is coming down the mountain. He's got these tablets in his hand, newly etched by the finger of God. And he sees what these people are doing. And um, the scripture says, his anger burned hot. And he threw the tablets out of his hands and broke them at the foot of the mountain. He's the first to break the law like we will all break the law. So here's, here's what I want to say. Whether, we, whether we're able to recognize it or not, it's our failure, capital S, sin, to live by God's law that undoes us in all kinds of ways. For we know it's God alone who satisfies us. It's God alone who gives us life. The false gods that we worship, maybe not a golden you know, calf, but what is it? Wealth, prestige, family, um, your own sense of self-aggrandizement or self-importance, dot, dot, dot. You know, from those of you who have lived, you know from experience that it never satisfies. It leaves you grasping. It leaves you hungry. It leaves you angry. In fact, it leaves you divided against your very self in your heart. Then you throw in the gnats of your lives. This is the, the gnats were not for nothing, people. So the gnats, the, the, just the problems of your life that swarm around you, that get in your eye, that you swipe away and, and they're still there. Um, the problems of being a human being, uh, the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune, the difficulties of living in a harsh and judgment world, we, all of us have a reservoir of pain that exists with inside of us that springs up from early childhood loss and woe, that the older you get, the more important it comes back. In the middle part of your life, you're too busy to think about it, but then, bang, it's there. And these, these, these painful experiences form a kind of drumbeat in you. And so what is a person to do with the failure to be happy by obeying God's law and then the problems of existence as a human being. Well, what is a person to do? But what is God to do when he sees that, you know, we were unable to, to be his people by following his law, as he said? You know, he's made a covenant with us, with his, his people saying, if you obey me, then I'll be your God. Well, it's not off to a good start, and it gets worse. That's what the gospel is about that Courtney read, until finally God solves the problem. He gets rid of it all. He, he, he gets rid of the gnats. He gets rid of the problem once and for all by sending Jesus to fulfill the law for us. That's what we mean when we say that Jesus lives lived for us. He lived the perfect life fulfilling the law that we cannot and did not and cannot do. And then he sent Jesus, the one sinless man, where was one and it was him, to bear the consequence of law breaking, which is death. And that's what we mean when we say Jesus died for you. That, friends, is the gospel, not about you, but about him. Let me give you an illustration of what this could look like. It's about Jack. Jack's a college student. 
and after his first year in college, he worked as a camp counselor at a camp. And um, Jack had a cabin full of nine-year-old boys for two weeks. Just imagine that. Uh, nine-year-old boys for two weeks. That's a big ask. That's 24 hours a day for two weeks. And um, not only that, but after the first night in the, in the cabin, Jack noticed one boy. And that boy had wet his bed. Nine-year-old boy and a group of nine or ten other boys the same age. And he wet his bed. I mean, you know how that fear and uh, you, just, you, just, you just want to die if you're a nine-year-old boy and you wet your bed. The shame and horror having the other boys find out. And the problem is, is that boy wet his bed every night. Um, so how is he going to survive this, this two weeks? Well, here's what Jack did. Every day, Jack got up and went quietly to the laundry room in the camp, and he got a clean set of sheets. And every morning, Jack set his alarm for 5 a.m., well before uh, the rest of the cabin was awake. And every morning, Jack got up, and he changed the sheets on that boy's bed, taking the dirty ones away to be washed so no one would have to know what happened. He removed that boy's shame, you see. That's what Jesus does for you. He takes your shame. Your sheets are clean. The days ahead to go out and enjoy. I had a conversation this past Friday with a 97-year-old. After telling me her life story, I asked her if she was afraid to die. Like, why beat around the bush with a 97-year-old? She said, well, yes, I am afraid to die. When I asked her why, she said, well, we've all got a reckoning coming to us. And if truth be told, I haven't lived a spotless life. I thought, well, that's true for all of us, isn't it? But here is what's even truer, friends. The judge, the reckoner, is none other than Jesus. And he's a friend of sinners. And that reckoning, in fact, has already happened. It happened on a hill, on a cross, 2,000 years ago when our sins were blotted out. So there's no need to fear. There's only trust in him. There's only gratitude for him. There's only love for him who takes away your shame. Amen.